Welcome to the Best Ever You Network, celebrating our third year on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Thank you for helping us become a number one rated live show with over one million global listeners. Our team is on a mission to help you discover your authentic best self and bring it to the world. And now, here's our show. Hello, hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Best Ever You show. I'm one of the hosts. I'm Elizabeth Hamilton, and uh, I'm in Maine, and our other host is Dr. Walter Jacobson, and he is in California. Um, Couldn't be on more opposite ends of the country or weather, as we like to talk about every time we do this show. It's snowing here again in Maine. Um, I'm guessing, Walter, I saw pictures of daffodils on your Facebook the other day. Were those like real-life daffodils now? Oh yeah, yeah. There, that's my uh, sort of my front yard, uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be ninety today here. It's going to be it's ninety pretty, today pretty here. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. We're like going on our. I don't know. Our guest is from Boston too, and I think I'm not sure if Boston has more snow than we do or not. I think she's from Boston anyway. Uh, or Beach, are you from Boston? Before I say that, I live in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Yeah, no, okay, Amesbury, yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah, from that area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know snow. Um, yeah, we've I got, do. I don't know, six, seven going on maybe eight feet. The drifts are certainly, or piles are certainly higher than that. Um, I'm thinking, what do you think, Peter, like maybe August before we see green grass? I think August, maybe September. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a so, while. I don't know what we're going to do with baseball this year. Anyway, all right, so that's that, and let me just take a second here and introduce our guest. We have Beecher Grogan. Um, she's the executive director of Lucy's Love Bus and mother of the founder of Lucy's Love Bus, Lucy Grogan. Um, she has two other children named Jane and Eli, and we just heard that you live in Massachusetts in the snow um, with her children and her two tiny dogs, um, Lukey and Big Poppy. Okay, now now we know we're baseball. Um, Beecher is a, feature, is a featured writer in the book 12 Breaths a Minute, a series of essays that has been highlighted on NPR. And um, you've also written a book for children with cancer called A Lion Inside, and that's now available, available, I can say that word, I know it, available for purchase from the online store at lucyslovebus.org. So welcome. How are you today? Are you I'm warmer? I'm wonderful, or no? thank you. I'm warm. I'm completely <laughs> ignoring the snow. That is my new technique. <laughs> Just not paying attention. Yeah. How's that working out for you? <laughs> It's working really, really well because I just I refuse to get down about it. I live in New England, and I'm not going to complain. That's my theory. Yeah. No, I don't think I'm complaining. I think I'm more joking about it because it's, it's yeah. um, yeah. I don't know what I am yet with it, but I'm embracing it for <laughs> sure. I, I go out for walks and I jump in it and I hang out with the dog and it and the kids and it's all good. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, a little bit much, more than we're used to for sure. I, I know a little that. Bit. But anyway, Dr. Walter, how are you doing today? I'm good. Everything's good here, and uh, I'm just wondering if the uh, Lucy's Love Bus has got a nice heater, warm. Well, it's a, <laughs> it's a 1970 Westphalia, so there's no such thing as heat in that vehicle. Wow. So <laughs> really? what do you, what do you do when you're tooling around to like bring your uh, your, your bus to people? Well, we store the bus in the winter because uh, oh, it's really I see. not okay. a vehicle. It's more about marketing than about transporting children. It it has very bad brakes, so I would never put a child in that car. <laughs> okay, all right. So uh, We do parades, and it, it goes to expos, things like that. Yeah, well, it's, people really should go to the website because it's really cool looking. It's really a great looking bus. Well, it's yeah, maybe you can tell bus. us about how it all how it all started. 
Well, the whole thing started in 2002 when my daughter Lucy, she was eight years old. She was a very healthy child, never had any health issues. Um, She had a series of symptoms that were very strange and seemingly unrelated, and I thought, you know, I think she might have Lyme disease. So I brought her in, not too concerned, and explained all of her ailments. And fortunately, our nurse practitioner knew me very, very well. She knew that I wasn't paranoid and said, okay. She took me very seriously and did a whole series of tests, and I was absolutely stunned that night to get a call from our doctor at around 10 o'clock at night saying that he thought Lucy had leukemia. And uh, I've never been more shocked in my life. So we had to race her down to the hospital that night for risk of bleeding, and that began this four-year path uh, into the world of cancer. So that was 2002. It's now, you know, 13 years later almost, uh, 12 years later, and, and I'm still very deeply emerged in this world. Yeah. So it started, it, yeah, Lucy, yeah? Go ahead. So Lucy, when she was sick the first time, she was eight and went through a year of treatment, and um, we we started exploring with integrative therapies such as acupuncture and Reiki and holistic medicine. She did chiropractic care. We did pet therapy, art therapy, music therapy, and we were able to afford that because we live in this tiny town of Amesbury that really pulled together and helped raise funds because I couldn't work for those four years. I was Lucy's one-on-one caregiver. And so we had the funds to actually pay out of pocket for all of these services. And Lucy loved them. And toward the end of her life, um, about six months before she died, she said, you know, Mama, how come no one else is doing this? And at that time, we were at the floating hospital in Chinatown. And she looked out the window and said, we're in Chinatown, right? And I said, yeah, we are. And she said, well how come they don't do acupuncture here? And I thought, you know, only a 12-year-old would think of this. But so I explained it wasn't covered by insurance, and the only reason she could do it was because her community was so generous and loving, so we could pay out of pocket. So she was really always a very political child and an activist and said, well, you know, that's not right that I'm the only one who can do this. And when I'm done with cancer, I want to make sure that all kids can have access to the therapies that have helped me so much. So we we had nothing else to do. We were in the hospital for the last six weeks of her life, and she decided to name it Lucy's Love Bus, and she really clearly spelled out what we would do and what our mission would be. Um, Unfortunately, she died in July of 2006, um, but since then we've helped over 300 children get access to these therapies. Do you just marvel at her strength and wisdom? I do. You know, she was always an old soul. From the moment she was born, she was an old, old soul. And at two and three years old would say these things that were just deeply spiritual and coming from seemingly out of nowhere. And so it didn't surprise me that she thought of this. But, um, you know, when I explained to people, it really was not my idea. It was her idea. It was it was her passion that got us going and, and her vision that shaped who we are and what we do today. Do you, do you ever get the sense that, you know, to some degree, I mean, this is, to some degree perhaps, like, that was her mission all along, uh, was to, like, start a, somehow be part of something that would help humanity and help children and help, uh, you know, this whole thing with children with cancer and, or not? I certainly think it was her purpose, and I think, you know, in grieving Lucy, I started really healing when I, shifted the focus from trying to understand why it happened and took a more spiritual view of it and and looked at it from far away and thought, okay, if there was a reason, it was because she came here 
to deliver Lucy's Love Bus and to deliver comfort and quality of life to children, that that was the purpose of her life and that her time here. And that's the only thing I've ever been able to think of that makes any sense of such a tragic loss. And and it really helped me wrap my mind around it and and create something beautiful from her experience. Because, you know, the death of a child is absolutely debilitating. And for me, the path to healing was all about learning from Lucy, looking at the lessons she taught me when she was sick, and then taking her vision and really making it happen after her death. So yeah, I think it. I think it's why she was born. I think it's why she came. Mm-hmm. When you when you come on the radio and and talk about this, are you used to answering questions about helping people learn how to get through something like that, like you've done? Do you talk about things like that, or do you I want do. to focus yeah, on? I do. Yeah, and no, we can talk about that. And you know, just recently, you know, our, we have two missions at Love Bus. The first is to deliver comfort and quality of life to children with cancer. That's number one. The second piece, though, is to help share Lucy's spirit of activism and philanthropy with children. And we have a program called Lucy's Kid Corps in which I go to schools and visit and talk to children about her story and about how she started this foundation. And then I invite the children to adopt one of our kids who's sick and have them work one-on-one with that child to raise funds and send them encouraging cards and, you know, really get to know um, this piece of the world that kids just don't know about. And the kids get deeply, deeply engaged and empowered. And it's become this wonderful force for us in terms of getting the word out about what we're doing and who we are. You know, that's fantastic that, uh, yeah, that you're engaging children to help children and to help humanity and to get them to become activists and involved and make a difference at such an early age. But you're, uh, you've got other cores, right, other like uh, ways in which people can you know, adults and corporations, and maybe tell us a little bit about other participations that people do. Sure. Yeah, I don't want to skip over the bereavement piece. Um, So our two missions are the first two that I just mentioned, but we are getting more into the world of bereavement because through Love Bus, you know, about one quarter of our children pass away. So we have all these mamas that we've become close to. It's, It's most often the mothers, sometimes the fathers, but I, I try to stay close to them during their bereavement. And I'm, I'm realizing we, we're actually going to do a pilot program with Care Dimensions, which is a big um, hospice here on the North Shore in Massachusetts. And we're going to work together with them, and they'll do the typical um, traditional model of talking with their social workers. But we're going to add a second component, which is going to be resources for healing. And we're going to introduce all the integrative therapies that we do for our kids. We're going to introduce them to grieving parents and let them try these things to, to work toward a path for healing. But yes, we do have many ways to get involved with Love Plus. Um, are you are you referring to Lucy's Love Corps when you said that about the yeah, core? Uh-huh. Yeah, the Love Corps. So we started Love Corps thinking of Peace Corps, and you know we've always been very very grassroots. And the way I look at it is, you know, if thousands and thousands and thousands of people just do a little bit, we'll be able to conquer this this huge challenge of childhood cancer. So um, Love Corps is a way people can involve, get involved by donating monthly. To Lucy's Love Bus, it can be $5, $10. But because we're a nonprofit, you know, our, our income and cash flow is always hard to predict. But the need is huge. So we always have this big waiting list of children waiting for services. So we're really trying to push Lucy's Love course so that we can have a reliable income each month and, and allocate funds um, uh, confidently, knowing that we're going to have the funds to meet the needs of the kids. So that people can do by going onto our website and hitting the the donate button, and you can find that to donate either one time or monthly. 
Um, we also are always looking for volunteers to help us with events. Um, we have volunteers help us with letter writing for children to write to kids who are, you know, sometimes our kids are uh, isolated because they've had a bone marrow transplant. They can't go in, out in public for a whole year. So we ask people to write cards of encouragement and letters and draw pictures to send to our children. Beecher, um, excuse me, my voice is kind of shaky today. Um, Beecher, was is this your um, is your background? What was your job before this, or what's your background um, in in work? I'm just I'm real curious no, because it seems like this so this funny. is. Uh, yeah, you go ahead. You got me. It's really funny. Yeah, um, I I was always considered considered myself a very very late bloomer, and what I find fascinating is as a child I was petrified, terrified of death at a very young age, around six years old. That's all I thought about. Then around 10, I started lying awake at night having this really overwhelming feeling that I was supposed to do something really, really big. And I would literally lie there not able to sleep because I couldn't figure out what it was at 10 years old. I was really stressed about it. Um, And then throughout my adult life, I sort of went, I, I did some professional photography. I worked for an organization that helped the blind. I taught preschool. I sort of was all over the place. Um, and then, um, let's see, after Lucy died, I went back and did some teaching in preschool for about a year. And then I was offered this job doing recruitment for a nonprofit that was all about um, economic development in um, inner city communities. So I became a program manager there for five years while I was growing Love Bus. And that really taught me, you know, it was a perfect job for me because it was an alternative MBA program for business owners. So I, I managed that class and got to take it about 10 times with the students and learned about growing a business. You know, most people don't think of a nonprofit as a business, but it takes all the same skills to grow a nonprofit as it does to grow a business. So, you know, that job was sort of the critical piece in teaching me how to grow this nonprofit when I had no nonprofit background before um, that last job. So I've been all over the place. You know, um, I just want to repeat uh, or list these things, all these alternative therapies that you were offering to these kids is uh, Mm -hmm. acupuncture, massage, therapeutic horseback riding, nutritional counseling, Reiki, meditation, Tai Chi, art, music, and dance therapies. This is incredible. You've you've seen that this has made a difference, right, in in how these kids, uh, you know, endure or or survive or, or heal. Absolutely. You know, our kids and our moms tell us, you know, they're like, this is the only thing that helps my child. The children, if they're old enough, can articulate to us. They're like, you know, this is the one thing that helps me feel better. It's, you know, and the way Lucy talked about it was she said, you know, Mama, I want to pay for anything that helps doesn't hurt. So we have a very, very broad broad definition of integrative therapies. You know, we have a child doing um, belly dancing in Hawaii. It's strengthening her core. You know, you might not say that that's an integrative therapy, but for that child, it's what's helping her be able to walk again with a, a normal gait. Um, so, you know, we try to always say yes at Love Plus. We don't do wishes. So if somebody said, I want to go to Florida, we'd say, you know, we can't do that. Um, but anything that is improving quality of life for a child, we will cover. And yes, I think, you know, it, it makes a huge difference for these kids. And for the, we set out to help the children feel empowered and have the children feel like they had a say in this experience. And what we're finding is that parents are coming back to us saying, I feel so empowered as a mother. You know, my, my rights have been stripped from me. I, I have to hand over my child and allow them to give toxic medications to my child. 
And our moms and dads say, you know, Love Bus is the only thing that allows me to really play an active role in supporting my child through things that really help and comfort them instead of hurting them. You've got a number of events coming up. I was wondering, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about the the events and how those support Lucy's Love Bus. Our events are critical. Um, this year we need to raise about $350,000, and so we pretty much have one event going on every single month, and you'll notice the first three we have coming up are all um, have, have a common thread, and that's Irish music and our Irish community in Boston who have really, really embraced Love Bus um, in a way, I've never seen anything like it. Um, we have three Irishmen on our board, and through them we met um, many Irish musicians who have a huge following, and it's just grown over the past few years where we have the Boston Irish community has just been incredibly supportive to Love Bus. So we have three events coming up. They're all on our website, but we have February 21st um, at the Beachcomber in Quincy. We have an event with Irish music from 5 till 2 in the morning, March 21st at the Knights of Columbus in Arlington. We have another event, um, an evening event with more Irish music. And then April 10th is our biggest fundraiser of the year. It's called Kaylee a Lucy, which means Dance for Lucy. It's at the Irish Social Club in West Roxbury. And last year we had about 500 people, and we had 100 raffle prizes. We raffle off a trip to the Bahamas, um, music. We have um, kids doing step dancing. Uh, we have, you know, the pipes and drums. It's this wonderful, wonderful event with dinner and, and live music all night long. Um, you know, so while you're, these events are all basically in the New England area, and so I'm wondering, uh, I mean, this is such important work you're doing. Is there a way to get, like, the rest of the country uh, involved in Lucy's Love Bus? You know, that that is the issue we've been really struggling with. And so we were founded by um, a 12-year-old child, right? And so Lucy said, you know, you have to help everybody. So we immediately became this national organization, which if you're in the nonprofit universe, you know that it's absolutely not sustainable or realistic. But we did it anyway because that's what Lucy wanted. So for the first eight years, we offered our help nationally. But then what started to happen is word got out. We started having these huge waiting lists of 40 to 50 children. And we, we offer $1,000 of funding per child. So you know, we had this backlog of 50000 that we had to raise to get those kids off the waiting list. And as a board, we really, really struggled with this all last year. It became a huge issue. And I kicked and screamed quite a bit because I, it means so much to me to keep Lucy's vision intact. But for sustainability reasons, the board said, you know, we have to pull back to New England until we can crack the code on fundraising on a national level. So... They did get me to agree. I agree it's the right thing to do in terms of making sure we survive. But we have a tiny, tiny staff. We have two full-time, one part-time person and a board of 11 people. So this year is all about stabilizing and making sure that at some point we can return to national funding. Um, the one thing I can say is that we, we are always open. If somebody, say, in Ohio said, I want to raise money so that 10 children in Ohio can get funding, we can absolutely do that. The challenge is I'm raising most of the money in Massachusetts, and it's just not feasible to fund the whole entire country. But my strategy is going to be to try to grow the Lucy's Kid Corps program so that we have kids all over the country raising money for children all over the country. I think you know that would be Lucy's ideal vision, is that children are the ones who help us crack the code and help us raise money for children all over the country. 
Now, I was introduced to you, um, and we didn't get to meet at the Expect Miracles Foundation event there in, in Massachusetts, but I was introduced to you um, by Frank Hebe and Whitney. And I yes. was wondering if you could uh, chat a little bit about the Expect Miracles Foundation and their role in um, Lucy's Love Buster, how you know Frank or, or whatever. <laughs> just to explain yeah, that. Yeah, we connection. just actually He's submitted. We're, we're applying what? for our third year. Yeah, they are an incredible foundation. What I love about them is they're very much dedicated to quality of life. Um, and in the funding world for nonprofits, you really have to find foundations that, that are deeply committed to your issue. So our issue is quality of life for cancer. It's it's not about curing cancer at all. It's not about preventing cancer. Lucy wanted to help the children who are suffering in this very moment. And so it's very, very hard to find foundation partners who who want to tackle that specific piece. So there's hundreds and thousands of foundations, but you have to find the ones that, that care about your issue. And we're just a perfect fit or expect miracles. I mean, what what they want to fund and what we do are in perfect alignment, and they have been hugely helpful to us. The first year they gave us $10,000, excuse me, to help children in Massachusetts. The second year I applied for $10,000 to help children in 10 states um, in all over the country um, where we were having trouble raising funds, so we were able to fund 10 children that way. And then this year I'm applying for funds because of this transition to New England, I'm applying funds because we have all these kids, you know, we were helping kids in 27 states. And to help with this transition period, I'm applying for $10,000 to ask for funding to help our children who are transitioning to hospice or relapsing who live outside of New England and still desperately need our funding. So I'm, I'm applying to them to ask for that type of support. And, you know, these guys, this foundation has been the one that really gets it in terms of, yes, it's expensive to help each child. It's $1,000. But this is what the children need. You know, um, the foundation sometimes, sometimes they care more about breadth. Sometimes they care more about depth. And Expect Miracles, I find, is a foundation that cares about the depth of impact. That, yes, the 10,000 will help 10 children, maybe 20. But but they're helping them on such a deep level that they're okay with that. And and that's why they're just a phenomenal fit for us. And Frank has just been such a wonderful Isn't supporter. Isn't he great? Yeah, he's, he he's is. really cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, how do uh, do you how do you get the people, the practitioners who help with the uh, Tai Chi and all these things? How how do you get them involved in all this? Well, in the very beginning, it was funny. You know, I would we really had no idea what we were doing. In the very beginning, it was me and sort of saying, "Okay, Lucy, I don't know how to do this," and so so I just started calling people and explaining to them, and, and it was so unheard of that. You know, people are kind of in shock, but so deeply grateful that there was something like this. So um, they had to take a leap of faith. I had to find them, and then they had to trust that I would actually pay them. Um, but now I think we're established enough where, where we find people because they either come to us looking to get involved, or um, we have a young woman that works for us named Jackie Walker, who is our program manager, IT expert, marketing genius. She's maybe 23 years old. And she's brilliant and very dedicated to the cause. So she finds the practitioners for our families, no matter where they are. She finds them through associations, you know, the, the massage association or the um, acupuncture association or for horseback riding. It's called the PATH certified um, program. So that's who we work with. So we go to find um, the, the associations that certify people so that we can look for the best practitioners in each area. 
So we find them, we explain what we do, there's paperwork back and forth um, so that we can see their licensing, see their insurance and their credentials before we connect them to families. Do you, um, what's the difference between, uh, and, and this might be a question that I don't know if it's an appropriate one or not or if it can be answered or not, but what's the difference between um, the depth of care and the $1,000 and so forth and everything that you do to help that child and um, something like palliative care? What does, what's the difference there? Just so We're we can explain very that. similar. Yeah, okay. that's a great I question. I thought so, but yeah, I'm kind of. Talking from <clears throat> place just I don't brilliant and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there's hospice and there's palliative care, and then what we do is sort of comfort care. Um, we are very closely aligned with palliative care, and I'm so happy you asked this because, in my opinion, and in the palliative world, we feel that every single child with cancer should have palliative care. So palliative care is when the te- it's a team, and usually hospital-based or hospice-based, where it's a doctor, a nurse, a social worker, maybe a chaplain, all working together um, and including some integrative therapies to make sure that the child's quality of life is as good as it can possibly be. Um, A lot of parents shy away from palliative care because it's too closely linked to hospice. In Massachusetts, many of our palliative care programs are run through hospice. And as you can imagine, parents freak out when they hear the word hospice. Um, They really worry that doctors are giving up on their children. Um, So they shy away from it and are afraid to even look at it. And and the sad, amazing truth is that hospice can extend life. There's been studies that show it extends life by up to six months. And palliative care and hospice are not the same. For hospice, normally it is really end-of-life care. Palliative care is when a child has a lifelong debilitating illness. So it's not not just for cancer, but any illness that is life-limiting. Those kids can have access to palliative care. So we're in close alignment with it. We don't have chaplains. We don't have doctors and nurses. We only provide the integrative therapy piece. But we are talking to palliative care programs quite a bit, trying to figure out how can we work more closely together because they also have long waiting lists. Um, They also, many palliative care programs can offer some music therapy, some art therapy, maybe Reiki, maybe some massage. But we can offer every single integrative therapy on the planet. So we're trying to talk to the other palliative care teams saying, how can we deliver some of your services for you so that kids have this huge, broad array of choices for palliative care? You know, the I know we usually alternate. Hang on, Walter, one second. We usually <laughs> alternate questions, but I got to expand on this for a second here. Um, you know, the the contributor to my book, uh, my book is called Percolate, and it's a mm-hmm. Hay House book. And the contributor to my book is one of the leading pal- palliative care. I say palliative. Sorry, it's my Midwest accent coming in. Um, palliative care um, pr- uh, people in the whole country. If you go to child really? pal. Yeah, child p a l l c a r e dot org. Her name uh-huh. is Dr. Katie Eastman, and you should connect with her if you can. I would love just to. Tell her Elizabeth sent you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Wonderful. Yeah, we said this. That's part of conversation, though. We're a conversational show. So. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, okay. So I was. What I was going to say is, uh, years ago, uh, when I was doing research in affirmations and visualizations as healing techniques and uh, there was a study that was done uh, a long time ago with women with breast cancer and there were two groups one group uh, did not do any kind of creative visualizations and another group did 
And by visualization, they would visualize their immune system getting stronger and marching white cells mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. the source. And, and that they actually statistically uh, had, you know, more remissions and required less medications and, and stuff like that. Uh, have, have you looked into any of that for, for your kids? We do. We, we do offer, um, you know, mindfulness and meditation and guided imagery. Yeah, we do all of that. And I, I hugely believe in it. You know, I, I think it, I think we're slowly, slowly discovering the mind-body connection and the power of it, even though 3,000 years ago it was being studied, you know, by the Chinese. It's, it's been around forever. And it's always kind of fascinating to me that modern medicine is, is so resistant to that idea. It, it just seems so obvious to me when I work with these children. You know, I don't need scientific proof that it works. The way I know it works is I look in their eyes, I looked in Lucy's eyes, and I saw that it helped. You you can see pain in someone's eyes, and you can see when it goes away. And for me, you know, hearing a child say, this is the only thing that helped me, I don't need scientific evidence. I understand why hospitals do, but I don't. I, I, I listen to the children. I You know, they speak from the heart, and, and it helps them. And that's what Lou wanted, so that's what we do. Cool. Well, my dad's a... My dad's a stroke survivor, and uh, he was in a rehab facility in the Minneapolis area. And it's the first place I've seen that brought in alternative therapies to complement the care. It was so Mm -hmm. wonderful, the things that they did to help him get rid of hiccups and, you know, just some of the miserable things that go with having a stroke. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was it was it was awesome. My dad's a survivor. Um, he's an over ten year survivor now, uh, but some of the things they did really saved his life. I think. Right there. You know, in the it hospital. is becoming more and more popular in hospitals, and you're seeing. You know, it's going to be consumer driven. As consumers start demanding it, it will happen. It is expensive to run these programs, um, and unfortunately, hospitals are huge, huge corporations at this point in life. The way they're all um, joining forces. And and unfortunately, at the high, high level, it's money that talks. At the low level, you know, where actual care is happening, you see a lot of beautiful hearts and beautiful doctors and wonderful nurses, and you see that. But at the very high level, they're making financial decisions. And so we won't see integrative therapies at every hospital until consumers start demanding it and saying, oh, well, I'm going to go to this other hospital because they have integrative therapies and you don't. And when the hospitals start hearing that and seeing that, they'll get much more aggressive in providing it. But, you know, it's it's not covered. Most aren't covered by insurance right now. And I think there's also a trend where people are really trying to fight for, you know, chiropractic care is often covered by insurance, a limited amount. A few have some coverage for acupuncture. But, you know, our kids, I've never had a family say, oh, yes, uh, they'll pay for therapeutic horseback riding. And these, you know, these aren't just cute little therapies that make a child feel better a little bit. They're things that can really be transformative for a child in terms of regaining their core strength and their flexibility. You know, horseback riding especially is a huge one for the kids in terms of getting their core strength back. Um, you know, just uh, horseback therapy. Uh, there's a, a equine-assisted <laughs> equine psychotherapy is is mm-hmm. known. And there's a there's a, an organization called EGALA, E-A-G-A-L-A. They may be able to help you to get reimbursement for uh, for these sorts of therapies, because uh, I, I, I think that people are doing it. But yeah, uh, but I wanted to also are. mention, put my two cents in about laugh therapy, 
because uh, years ago, and this is no, this is no joke, you know, uh, laugh therapy, <laughs> a guy named Norman Cousins, years ago, I had ankylosing spondylitis, and he just spent a lot of time laughing, looking at movies and TV shows, and uh, the mm-hmm. idea that it creates endorphins and strengthens the immune system, so I just wanted to throw that in there, if you weren't aware of that, I don't know if you do that yeah. already. No, I know about it from when we were at Children's Hospital and the, the clowns would come in and one of the clowns told me the whole history of the last therapy piece. And yeah, it hasn't been talked about a lot in recent years, but yes, you know, that's that's a part of what we're doing is just helping children return to joy, helping children return to, you know, what we try to do is help children reconnect with the place inside themselves that is still healthy and still vibrant, no matter how sick they are. You know, and, and Lucy, there's a wonderful quote by Lucy that's on our website and she said, she wrote a letter to her doctor, and she said, you know, the key in working with these children is not not in helping them connect with who they're going to be, but it's about helping them remember who they were, that, you know, kids start to forget. Mm-hmm. What did it feel like to feel good? I mean, we have children who've been in treatment for 14 years. You know, they don't remember what it felt like to be healthy and vibrant and alive. And that we, you know, Lou thought her, her therapies that she had, the integrative therapies, really helped her connect to that place that felt healthy to help children remember, I will someday feel better again. It might take a long time, but someday I'll get there. And to just give them a little reprieve and a little rest and a break from the pain and the suffering that they go through. Let's say this show gets passed to a family who has just discovered that, you know, their child has cancer for example, yeah. what would you like to say to that family and, and what should they do first and, and how can you help? And Because I, I just have a feeling this show will kind of go in that direction of being passed around I hope to so. help people. I hope yeah, so. Yeah, I, I think it will. Yeah. So we encourage people to call us right away. Sometimes, you know, the first couple of weeks when you've had a diagnosis like this are absolutely, your whole world has just been turned upside down. So... In the first few weeks, you know, I'll tell people, you know, get your bearings, get straightened out a little bit, but then call us as soon as you possibly can because a lot of families wait till the very end of treatment or they wait till a child is on hospice to call us, and that breaks my heart. I want them to call us immediately. I want them to call and get their child on services right away because they, the child is overwhelmed, the child is scared, and these are the therapies that help them sort of wrap their mind around what's happening to them and actually feel better. So. I encourage people to call sooner rather than later, also because we always have a waiting list. I want them on the waiting list immediately. Um, oftentimes, parents are afraid to call because they're afraid to talk to me because I am living their absolute worst nightmare. And so you'll notice if you go on our website, it doesn't say that Lucy died because, you know, in the beginning it did. Then I took that out and I thought, you know, that, that creates a barrier. Families do not. And I remember being that woman who was like, you know, this is not going to happen to us. She is not going to die. And I really don't want to see or hear about anyone who lost their child because I'm just not interested. And that's how I behaved. And so I tell parents, you know, it doesn't hurt my feelings that you don't want to talk to me. But I do say, you know, try to remember it's not contagious. This was my experience. It was Lucy's experience. It is not your experience. And, you know, and I think sometimes it can help parents to talk to me because they hear in my voice that I'm okay. Yes, I did live through their biggest nightmare, and yes, it was a nightmare, but I'm okay. And I think that's an important, important piece for parents to see and remember. And and even if they're still scared to talk to me, it's okay. We have other staff who have not lost children that they can talk to. Um, but, you know, I think I think it's an important piece 
for them, you know, when I go speak to groups of parents who have children fighting with cancer, fighting cancer, I just, I put it on the table and say, I know you're terrified of me. I know that. I know it's hard to look at me, but let's go there for a minute. And just the one thing I want you to take away is here's a woman who's living through my worst nightmare and she's still breathing. And then take it and, and just put that information away in case you ever need it. You know, I'd, I'd also think that maybe later on down the road when they would want to really, they might want to shift over to talking to you because I think you're, you're I mean, you you learned a lot and got a lot of your own personal healing from the experience that you had and from your growth and, and from your being of service to others, right? I mean, you're as an example of service to others to get out of yourself, and that's healing too, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I learned that from Lucy. I mean, when Lucy was sick, she... The only she turned around and helped everyone else. She was sick as a dog, but she'd get out of her bed and go see if any of the two year olds or babies needed her. You know, she'd go see if one of the teenagers down the hall needed something. And it was all you know, she taught me this that when you're suffering, the only way to sort of get out of it is to turn around and try to give back to that place that hurt you and and help people who are suffering as much or worse than you. Um and that's been the key to my survival of her death is you know, how can I help? How can I not focus on my own sadness and help others with their trauma? And, you know, eight years out, you know, who died eight years ago, um, I still have days of absolute devastation. I still have days where I'm incapacitated. Um, they're few and far between now, but they still happen. And um, But I'm mostly okay. And I, I think, you know, I, I love trying to help other parents get to that place. Yeah, how how does that happen exactly? Because I don't think I would ever be mostly okay. You know, it it has been the spiritual journey of a lifetime. And, you know, when I was thinking about the name of your show, I thought it's so funny because there's, there's been a long, long period where I was not the best ever me. <laughs> you know, I was the miserable me on the couch crying. Um, and I... I don't know. I mean, I went through three years in the beginning. The first three years were just absolute, absolute devastation and misery. And I, I had no idea how I was going to make it through. And I was deeply depressed and um, having to parent two other surviving children who are also suffering. And, um, you know, time takes time, unfortunately. But I, I would sort of repeat that mantra to myself that time takes time. And sooner or later, I'll, I'll have to feel better. But I did a lot of work. I didn't just sit for all those years and have it magically happen. I did a ton of work and reading and soul searching and reaching out for different types of therapies, group therapy, individual therapy. I went to see a shaman, you know, anything that I could find. Um, I did acupuncture, I did Reiki. I felt like these things can't hurt me and they might help me. Um, I also certainly took antidepressants to try to help with the depression. And, you know, it was a long, long journey of trying many, many, many different things. I did a ton of writing, um, and just by continually trying, I slowly, slowly started shifting to being happier. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't wish this path on on the most evil person in the world. I really wouldn't. It's just the most painful thing to survive. And, you know, I think most people do think they couldn't survive it. But, you know, when Lucy was sick, she would constantly look for the silver linings of cancer. And I used to laugh, and I'd say, Lucy, for goodness sake, because she'd say, well, if I didn't have cancer, I wouldn't have met Emily. I'm like, yeah, well, Emily's great, but guess what? <laughs> you know, I'd rather you yeah. didn't have cancer. And But she really taught me, and, and I've really worked hard to find the silver lining in our experience. You know, there's a few. 
having lost a child, I am now absolutely fearless. There's nothing else that can kill me if that didn't. You know, there's a few silver linings. You certainly learn to appreciate the things that really, really matter and to let go of the things that really, really don't matter. Um, and I've certainly, through Love Bus, met thousands and thousands of people and seen uh, hundreds of thousands of acts of kindness that I never would have seen, you know, without this experience and without Lucy in my life. So, you know, it's it's a long process, and I think there's a lot of choosing how to respond involved. You know, you can choose despair or you can get really determined to find joy again. And I And I think that's part of what helped me was I didn't want to live a miserable life. I didn't want to be the person that everyone said, man, her life sucks. I didn't want that. You know, uh, when you talk about being fearless now, this makes me think of this this children's book that you wrote called The Lion Inside. I'm kind of mm-hmm. wondering, I'm curious about that. What, what What is that about? That is about, so when Lou was diagnosed in 2002, uh, our family are big readers, and I was searching for a book. I wanted a book to read to my 8-year-old daughter about cancer that I wanted something to help her wrap her mind around it. And the only thing the hospital had to offer us was a 1970s video called Why Charlie Brown, Why? And it was cute, but it was very, very dated and not very helpful. And so throughout the experience, we never found the book that we needed. And then it was about five years after Lucy died, I had the book sort of rattling around in my head for the longest time because Lucy had the funniest ways of coping with all the, you know, hair loss. And she would think of these very crazy, creative, clever ways to make it into a fun thing. Um, so I always had this book in my head, and then it just came out one day. This came out in one writing. Had, took a little editing, and I found it, uh, an illustrator and, and did it. And it's, you know, it, it talks about a lot of the funny things Lucy did, but it also talks about the hard stuff that she kept inside. Um like for an example, when Lucy lost her hair, her first reaction, you know, most little girls with long, beautiful hair might cry that they were losing their hair. She looked at her little sister and said, Jane, oh, my gosh, now you can build a Sunday on my head. And that was the response. And so they did it. And we have pictures of it at her dad's house. And you know, we were divorced at the time. And, and we have pictures of Jane building a Sunday on Lucy's head. And then, of course, Lucy made her eat it, you know, because that's what big sisters do. And and it just, you know, it, it talks about her funny, feisty stuff that she did, uh, but it also talks about, you know, how she felt deep inside and, and you know, is this something that she caused somehow? Um, so I, I wrote it because we desperately needed it, and I wrote it so that parents could have a way to open up these conversations about the funny things, about the weird things, and about the really hard and difficult things that the children keep inside because they really tend to protect their parents and don't go there. They don't talk about the scary stuff, and I feel like that's, that's a terrible place for a child to be is to be alone in fearing death and dying. That's a horrible place for a child to be. So I, I wanted to open up these conversations in a very gentle way so a parent could say, you know, Lucy felt this way. I wonder if you think that at all. And so the book is really just coming out. It's you know we're, we did it online first, and now we're publishing it and printing it ourselves. And it's due to come out in about a week. And I'm just I'm so excited to get it into the hands of children who need it. Yeah, and parents. But the message too. is hopeful. It sounds like it's yeah yeah. It is at the end. Oh. You know, I struggled with um, Lucy dies. You know, so in this story though, I wrote it about the first time she was sick, 
And at the end of it, it says, Lucy made it through. It doesn't say she lived. It says she made it through, and so will you. And it, it had to be a hopeful ending for children. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like your blog. Oh, yeah. We have, I'm have not sure you how, read that? That's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, well, no, I just, I, on the topic of writing, um, between the book, I'm sure, and the blog, it's, it's probably incredible um, for people to just know you're right there and, and get it. Yeah, the writing is done by one of our moms, and she chose to remain anonymous um, so that she could write really, really freely. And, and that came about because I met her when we were visiting a hospital, and we just really clicked. I liked her so much, and, and she wrote um, to me and said, you know, I, I really desperately need to write openly about what's happening, but I find myself editing it to make everyone else feel better. And so I suggested, I'm like, why don't you write on our blog and be anonymous and say everything, say it all, because all these other parents are feeling it too. So let's have someone write really honestly. And I, I found I did that too when I wrote for people on care pages. I would edit, I would edit out the worst of it because I wanted to protect people. But, you know, we don't, I think we do people a disservice when we protect them from the reality. And, and certainly yeah, for other parents, or other parents are reading it. No, it doesn't. And she's a beautiful, beautiful writer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and you call it, and you call it the butterfly blog, right? The butterfly, butterfly blog, blog, yeah. Yeah. So it's she Lucy's just love in. bus. Oh, go ahead. It's uh, it's org slash blog is how you get to that. Mm-hmm. org slash blog. So, yeah, I like that a lot. So it's uh, I, it must be very helpful for people. I think it is. It's helpful for her, and it's a lot of other moms have found it and are reading it and saying, you know, this is exactly how I feel. Thank you for saying it like it is. It's not pretty. <laughs> it's a really difficult world that these families live in, and, and they're immersed in it for years and years and years, and it, it can be very lonely. And I think the blog is helping people feel connected. Yeah. What you about know, that I, other book? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Liz. Well, I, you know, you said lonely, and I've and I've been... I wrote this down, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes ago to ask you. Um, it can be on on the receiving end of meeting somebody who has lost a child, and and it can be very difficult to know what to say to that person so that you're not yeah. tiptoeing around and you don't hurt their feelings. You feel like you're kind of walking on eggshells around someone trying to figure you out, are. you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I I always think it would be so helpful if somebody wrote a blog like how to talk to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah, how to we can do that on ours. Yeah, I mean, there's a few I things floating around genius. Facebook that I've seen. There was one really really great one that came out recently, and I shared it on my Facebook page. It was it was perfect, and it's it's really what I loved about the most recent one that I saw was it, it said what not to say, but it also gave here's what you could say instead. Um, yeah. You know, and so the classic not to say is here's the things we always hear that drive us insane. You ready? I'll do the quick list. It's God needed another angel. She's gone to a better place. These are the things we don't like to hear. Um, at least you have another child. Oh. At least you can have more children. I mean, people hear oh. things like, you know, if you had prayed more or if you were more religious, this never would have happened to you. 
You know, these are the things people say to us. Um, Cringeworthy. (laughs) And and really, I tell people, if you don't know what to say, say nothing. I mean, the secret to this is just listen. And you can open the conversation. I mean, some people say it drives them crazy. I find the only thing that didn't make me mad was when people hugged me and said, I'm so sorry. That was the only thing that didn't piss me off. Um, And I think... You know, that's you honest do learn right there. You know that? That's parent. honest. Yeah. Those are some honest sentences right there. But if yeah. people can just listen, and, and the other thing is people tiptoe around and they don't want to mention your child because, oh, my God, they might make you upset. And we always crack up about that. We're like, really? Seriously? Yeah. I'm thinking about my child every second of every day. And when you don't talk about my child, it hurts me deeply because I feel like you don't care. So it's always oh. good. Always, 100% of the time, I guarantee it, it's always good to talk to someone about their child. It's good to share memories with them. It's good to say, you know, what I loved about your child, you can bring it up. We desperately want you to bring it up. Um, that's always safe. What's yeah, not you know, safe is trying to fix it. Don't try to fix it because it's world, broken permanently. Yeah. yeah, the world could use some training around this because you don't oh, – because yeah. I, think, I, think I think a person sits in this zone of – um, irritating somebody, hurting their feelings, yeah. not knowing what to say, or whatever, you know, the, the, the oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's you really know, empathy is, is what it is. All those things that, that yeah. you were said people say that you don't want to hear is just a lack yeah. of empathy, a lack of really putting themselves in the other person's place. And, yeah. And, and so, uh, Elizabeth, I agree, like em- empathetic training is really important. Yeah. And, and just even just being there and feeling someone's empathy and, and concern and, and even something else someone might say to you, I don't know if this is appropriate, what can I do to help? Is there anything I can, I'm here for you. Yeah, 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 just listen, you know, and I think one of the other, one of the things I left off the list of horrible things people say, and this is the one that always hurts me the most, is people look at me, it's been eight years for me, people look at me and they have this funny little question mark going on in their face and they say, still, still? Hey. And people very, very close to me have said that. Very close friends. Oh, have you said mean that like me. still you're still sad? You're still sad. Yeah, like get over it. For yeah. God's sake. And you know, so what I've learned because you can, you know, I see a lot of bitterness. I'm in a lot of these groups on Facebook of bereaved parents, and you see a lot of anger around this issue. And I and I feel like we all have to remember before our child got sick and before they died, we were as clueless as everyone else. We have to remember that. Because it's not fair to be angry at people for not understanding. I pray they never understand. So when I talk to people who don't get it, I say, here, listen, I pray that you never understand. I pray that you never lose your child so that you can understand this. But just trust me when I say you don't understand. And I need you to just respect my process and respect where I am. And when you ask me still, you know, I, I say to people, if your child went to the darkest part of Africa, and never returned, and never wrote, and never tweeted, and never Facebooked, and never called for the rest of their entire life, would you miss them more, or would you miss them less over time? And when I say that, because I don't want to say if it was your child who died, I don't want to go there, but I just say if they disappeared like that, you know, would you miss them more or less? And they say, oh, yeah, I'd miss them more. And I say, you know, that's the thing. I miss Lucy Grogan more every single day. I learned to deal with it more gracefully, but I miss her more every day. I mean, she would be turning 21 in May, and I'm devastated that I won't get to see that. 
that I don't see the woman. I mean, imagine who she would have become as a woman if this is who she was as a 12-year-old child. You know, that kills me. It'll always kill me. But I've learned how to live and experience joy and purpose despite that. Um, But I also, I do believe I'll see her. I'm certain that I'll see her again, and that, that is one very helpful thing for me is I do believe that we'll be together again, which is hugely helpful. I agree. I don't often get so tough about this stuff on the radio. That's a tough one. What? I said I I don't often get so tough on this stuff. You know, I I I miss my girl. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Walter, it's your... Yeah, yeah, I want to ask, I just also just want to kind of cover the field here. You've got this uh, this book, 12 Breaths a Minute, the series of essays. Maybe that's helpful for people, too? Yes, definitely. You know, I, I laugh when I look at my bookshelves, and I'm sure my teenage daughter is embarrassed to have people come over. If you look at my bookshelves, it's like, I'm deaf and dying, you know, children and death. There's <laughs> all these books about death in my house. And, you know, this book, I, I'm so honored to have Lucy's story in it. Um, there were 22 essays, and it's pulled from, it was written for the medical profession, but it's also for families who are experiencing death and dying in their own uh, network. Um, but it's written from all different perspectives. So there's a story about a doctor who lost his first patient and a nurse who lost her father and, you know, a woman who lost, you know, her dad and then Lucy's is the only one in there that's about a mother losing a child. And it's it's a very hard read. You sort of have to read it slowly. But what I think is fascinating is, you know, there's so much fear surrounding death. There's so much fear. And I think death is obviously a natural part of life. And I'm going to say this at the risk of saying something crazy, but it's also a beautiful thing. I mean, when Lou died... You know, she had a very sudden and very horrible death experience in the hospital. And the next day, I was obviously traumatized and sort of in this very surreal space. But when her doctor came to the hospital to visit us after she had passed, I walked up to him and I held his face in my hands and I looked in his eyes and I said, why didn't you tell me? And he said, tell you what? (laughs) He said, that living, no, that being born and dying are the exact same thing. Why didn't you tell me that? I've been living in fear for four years of this. Why didn't you tell me? And I'll never forget the look on his face. He looked at me like I was out of my skull. And I, and I realized he didn't know. He was a doctor who didn't know. And, but I saw Lucy die. I, I felt her spirit still in the room. It was still there. I felt her there. I could feel the energy. The next time I saw her, it was gone. The next time I saw her was at the funeral home. And and I knew her spirit had gone somewhere else. And But the whole, even though it was a horrible death experience, it reminded me so much of her birth. It was exactly like birth. It was going from one place that was very familiar and going to a new place that was different. And it, it was, you know, people use the word awesome all the time. We misuse that word awesome means awe-inspiring. You know, death is an awesome experience. If you sit and observe death, it is profound. 
you know, and I liberating. could see it came in the room, and it was not screwing around. I mean, it came in, and we, you knew. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, we, nothing could have stopped it. Nothing could have stopped it. It was coming, and she was done, and she needed to go. And, you know, it, it helped me to see that. I mean, I don't know how I ever would have healed if I didn't witness that, because I wouldn't have known for certain that she was somewhere else and that she was somewhere safe. I'm grateful that I got to be there for that passage because observing it really helped me know that she's okay. You have to promise me when we're done with this show that you'll tweet. Can I give you like a, can you grab a pencil for a second and write this down? Do you have one with you by any chance? Yeah, I have a pen. D-R-K-A-T-I-E-E. Okay. Tell Elizabeth sent you. I have been in rooms with her, with Katie. We, we've been to the Waldorf Astoria at the Matrix Awards, and she would introduce herself as the director of children's palliative care. And mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody able to clear a room faster. I mean, just absolutely, like people wouldn't come back up and talk to her or anything. <laughs> I mean, really, Why? seriously, people would have, because it's the topic of death. Yes. And, oh, yeah. And top it off with the topic topics. of a child, and you know yeah. there was nobody around us for miles. You know, I, you know, it. She, she will talk to you forever about what you were just talking about. I would with love great to intelligence talk to her, you know? and, and everything. Yeah. yeah. The and it's field, too bad. Totally. It's too bad because you know I, I feel like so many of us live our life in fear of death. And you know this is yeah. the thing I find fascinating about my childhood fear. I mean, ask my mom. I would, she'd be like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm afraid of dying. And, you know, and then look at now, 40 years later, this is what I do. This is, you know, I, those are the children that I feel like I was meant to work with is to help children at their end of life make the transition without fear and help parents support their children without fear. You know, fear, fear sucks. Death is going to happen to all of us. Being afraid of it your whole life does nothing but cripple you, in my opinion. So learning to wrap your head around it and not be afraid of it is very liberating, especially for families who are dealing with, you know, either possible death or certain death, depending on the illness. Fear doesn't get you anywhere. I was waiting for Dr. Walter because I took that. Oh, I was just—I thought we were kind of sort of. I thought we were going to kind of wrap up the show, uh, but yeah, I was going to say I agree with you completely about the uh, the death experiences. Uh, it's for my mother passing was also a liberating experience, going from a very constrained uh, life uh, in in this in a hospital bed, and then when she mm-hmm. went, I said the same thing. I felt her presence there, and it was incredibly powerful and reassuring, and, and I knew that she was liberated to a, to a better, you know, a, a different existence, and her consciousness exactly. was still there. Yeah. And I feel Lucy around me all the time, and that's, you know, when I talk to children who are dying, um, I make a special effort. If a child is on hospice and nearing the end of life, I make an effort to go visit them and talk to them. And I say, you know, do you want to hear how I keep in touch with Lucy? Because the child's biggest concern is not death. The child's biggest concern is who in God's name is going to take care of my parents when I'm gone because they're going to fall to pieces. That's the child's biggest concern is their family and how is the family going to survive. And so we talk at length about all the experiences that I had with Lucy where she, she visits me. She's with me. She's with me right now. 
and I feel it. And, and it's taken time to learn how to see and feel her. Um, but I get messages from her. I mean, sort of mm-hmm. the further out there you go in terms of opening your mind to these mm-hmm. things, I think if you haven't lost somebody, you think, okay, this lady's totally nuts. But if you have lost someone, you know you get signs and you can learn how to see them and how to hear them and how to feel them better. And so I always talk to children and say, I will take care of your mom and dad. I will help them. I'm going to help them until they figure out how to communicate with you and how to feel you because you will always be together. You know, and that's their Do biggest they, fear. Does a child worry about not being able to communicate with the parents again? Yeah, and not, not ever seeing them again. And, and yeah, they're, they're scared of that. I mean, but they're not afraid of dying typically. Some kids I'm sure are, but, you know, one of our children who passed most recently we had we had beautiful conversations about what's next, and you know her mom was a single mom, and and she was her mom's only child, and and that was really really getting in the way of her enjoying the last part of her life. Was she was just debilitated with this fear of what's going to happen to my mom. And after we talked, her mom and she told me everything changed. Everything changed. She was able to let go of that piece and just enjoy the last week she had with her mama. And so I've written a book, I have a new book coming out that was inspired by this girl named Shelby Murphy. She was 17 and she passed just in December. Um, But I wrote a book uh, for teens who are dying um, because they know, kids know when they're dying. And they, they need to be able to talk about it. So I wrote a book that was very much inspired by Shelby and is being illustrated now. Um, And I think it's going to be called When I Go Home. Um, and it'll be dedicated to her. I've already talked to her mom to get permission, but Shelby is the one who showed me, you know, I can't get to every single child who's dying. I, it's not physically possible. So I want to have a book that a family could use to, again, open up conversations about this very hard, hard topic. But, I, you know, I can't have kids dying without having conversations about it. You know, and I think yeah. a lot of parents, it's a really hard thing to ask a parent to do, to say, okay, I have to give my child permission to die. And I have to let my child talk about it. That's a very hard thing to do. And I think if there's a book, it'll create a vehicle where children will feel understood and heard and parents can feel like it's okay to talk about this. You know, we're we're so afraid of being perceived as giving up hope or giving up on our child. And that's just total nonsense. You, You never give up on your child. But you do need to allow them to talk. You know, it just... I'm really hoping that this book will help open up conversations for people and, you know, let them really have, let the kids have the the conversations they need to have before they pass. I think it's it's another great piece of wisdom from you out into the world. So, um, gosh, we appreciate having you as a guest, Beecher. Frank was right. I'm honored you you asked. And uh, thank you so much. And you're right. I think your daughter was here the whole conversation. I had goosebumps several times. And, yeah. And, oh, good. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I get that kind of like angel thing. Somebody's around me or something. Yeah. So good. Anyway. Yeah, I get, when, I'm, um, when I'm covering goosebumps, I know she's right here. Yeah, yeah. I get that too sometimes where you're just like, and it's almost like a flush. It almost feels like a hot flash, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway. Um lucyslovebus.org. Uh, everybody listening, you can go to lucyslovebus.org and find out how you can donate. The organization is trying to raise $350,000 this year to help kids and their families. And we appreciate Beecher Grogan, the executive director of Lucy's Love Bus, being with us. And um, 
we hope that you share this show with those who might um, need it. It's a lot of wisdom here today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Beecher, for being with thank us. And you. Thank you, Dr. Walter. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. Take care, everybody. And um, you can visit us at besteveru.com for more information. And um, we'll put this show in our social media, on LinkedIn, in our group, on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, all the avenues and, and really share it. So please, if you hear this show, share it with somebody else. All right. Thanks. Take care, everybody. And thank you again. Um, it's lucyslovebus.org. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.